So, like a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, I posted a picture to the podcast Instagram, which I imagine most of you probably already follow, but it's uh, Common Criminal Podcast, all one word. And it was just a meme of some dude wearing a hoodie with the text superimposed, uncircumcised? That's one hoodie she can't steal. Which was like kind of a lame joke. I read it. I thought it was funny. So I just reposted it to my page. And I just posted it with the caption like, oh, next episode of the podcast. Again, just as a joke, because I thought it would be kind of funny. But a number of y'all reached out to me and said that you actually wanted me to do an episode of the podcast about circumcision, which is not an issue that I am very well uh, researched on. At least I wasn't at the time. So, you know, if people are actually asking me to do it. Uh, here it is. Uh, this one's for you guys. <laughs> so I figured I would start all the way from the beginning. Well, I guess not quite the beginning. But I wanted to look at the history behind it. And... Uh, bring it back to where we are today with it so you know uh for those of you who reached out and asked for it uh here you go and for those of you who didn't thanks for listening this is common criminal podcast and i am your host vince polson all right well to this this part is a little weird because when you look at like the history of circumcision, it's always going to come back to a religious thing. Really no two ways about it. Everything that I read points it out as being some like antiquated tradition that started with uh, Abraham, the father of Judaism, and then ultimately Islam spun off of that and Catholicism spun off of spun off of it as well. Now, I'm not here just to read Bible passages. Though I guess if enough of you message me saying that you want me to, I'll do it, apparently. Uh, but, okay. But just to give this a little context, I'm going to have to do a little bit of Bible history. I promise I'll make it fast for those of you who really don't care. So, original sin, you know, Eve bites the apple, lies to God, knowledge of good and evil, which... You know, love or hate Ben Shapiro, he gets a lot of bad press these days, but I will give Ben credit in the fact that uh, he actually, he's, as far as the Old Testament goes, he is a very well-versed religious scholar in addition to all of his other hats he wears. So, uh, you know, I I'm just going to defer to his information and in talking about the Old Testament stuff, at least. So, original sin and the, you know... That basically, according to him, is that they have a uh, an understanding of like, you know, Adam and Eve bite the apple and have an understanding of sex for pleasure, which, you know, got them kicked out of the Garden of Eden, I guess, if you read that story literally. So then, you know, many, you know, generations later, Abraham 
who has no children with his wife. He has, I think, a couple children with his slave, if I remember right. I'm not a religious scholar, so if this stuff is interesting to you, I highly recommend listening to the Ben Shapiro version. I know, right? But anyway, so Abraham enters this agreement with God where God tells him, you know, you're going to have descendants with your wife. You'll have descendants that are as numerous and plentiful as the stars in the sky. Uh, Abraham's like, no way, that's crazy. And then, like, boom, it starts happening, I guess. Uh, And as part of this agreement, this covenant, I guess, is how they refer to it in the Bible. Abraham has to be circumcised. And so do his slaves, and so do all of his children, and all of their children, for, you know, basically for the rest of forever. And this is to wash away original sin, which then means, I guess, they can go to heaven. You know, like I said, not a religious scholar over here. Not even close. Now, in the Catholic tradition this practice was actually replaced with uh with baptism and that's why people get baptized in catholicism or basically i think any christian religion has baptism at this point i'm sure it does so the circumcision practice was uh i mean that was you know a jewish culture thing and also you know i mean i guess catholics did because of tradition but anyway So there's your history of circumcision as far as like the oldest, where does it come from answer. And if you look at like the world population, basically um, America is like the leader in circumcising boys. So it's kind of interesting to see how we got there. And that was mostly due to this guy named John Harvey Kellogg. Now this is the this is to me the most interesting part. So definitely uh definitely you'll want to hear this if you haven't heard it before. So most historians credit John Harvey Kellogg as being the guy who popularized circumcision in America. I mean that's what most historians that I've read. I'm not a historian, so you know, like I said, you can you look up some of the stuff for yourself if you find it really interesting. I'm just laying the groundwork for you. So he advocated for circumcision because he thought it was a good method to curb masturbation in young boys. So I figure that statement just sounds a little silly. Uh, if you are a man now. Uh, but a little background on this guy, right? Uh, Kellogg was a, uh, well, he read a lot of the writings of this guy named Sylvester Graham, Sylvester Graham, excuse me. I, I just woke up. Give me, you know, cut me a little slack. But yeah, so Kellogg did a lot of readings from this guy, Sylvester Graham, who, if I remember right, he was like a 17th or 17th, Jesus, 19th century scholar and, uh, you know, religious type. Uh, And that was what I think Graham published his papers like in 1834. If I remember right, I didn't write it down in my notes. I'm sorry. 
Kellogg, who was uh, early, early 20th century and late 19th century, so late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, Kellogg was a Seventh-day Adventist, which is like my favorite non-Catholic Christian denomination because they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of tradition. I value that a lot in religion because I mean, if not for tradition, then what's the point? At least that's kind of the way I see it. But yeah, so he was a Seventh Day Adventist, and he was the director of the Battle Creek Sanatorium, which was how do I how do I put this? without kind of diminishing what this guy actually did. Because, I mean, aside from the circumcision thing, he did a lot of really good stuff. Uh, The sanatorium, I mean, it was kind of like a medical center slash day spa. And, I mean, they did, like, a lot of pretty good work. Uh, And he treated not just rich people, but, like, the poor people that couldn't afford it, he would treat for free. Which... It's kind of cool. I mean, if you think about where we're at now, people talking about the Medicare for all debate, that's kind of what they're suggesting in a way. So I don't know. He was a little ahead of his time in that regard. And I say he's a Seventh-day Adventist. It does stand to point out that uh, he had disagreements with the church and was disfellowshipped in 1907, which is probably why you don't often see him credited as being Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, disfellowshipped, I think, is like their version of excommunicated. But again, I'm not really sure, and I don't like to speak on other people's religions. So, he ran this sanatorium, and, uh, you know, they did a lot of uh, different work. Actually, one of the cooler things that I came across was that uh, he was talking about gut health, like in the early 1900s which for anybody who listens to Joe Rogan or is like into new dieting trends, you've probably heard of this. Like you got to get your gut microbes balanced and that'll help you lose weight and it makes you way healthier. No, he was doing research on this in ni- like in the early 1900s. So I think it's kind of cool. He was way ahead of his time in terms of that. Now, In addition to all of these things, John Harvey Kellogg, I know that name is familiar to basically anybody who loves breakfast, because yes, that is the same breakfast cereal guy. He was a vegetarian, I think he did, like, did veganism stuff too, uh, like, on on again, off again, and uh, in the sanatorium, he would teach people about gut health, and, uh, and, you know, they had all vegetarian dishes that they served there because it was supposed to be like a cleanse, detox thing. Uh, and for breakfast, they had the cornflakes. And he made these cornflakes. I, sh- I kid you not, he thought, like, the bland breakfast was good because it wasn't overly stimulating. So it would keep people from masturbating. I'm not kidding. This guy thought that having a bland breakfast would make you more austere. Now, his brother was in marketing, the other catalog brother. And, you know, he was like, oh, cornflakes, yeah. Um, we could totally sell this and use the money to help run the sanatorium so that way we could also treat poor people. And uh, so John was like, yeah, go ahead, I guess, whatever. And uh, then his brother did successfully market it into the most breakfast cereal like ever 
by adding sugar. And John was so pissed. Apparently, like, never spoke to his brother again because his brother added sugar to his bland anti-masturbation cereal. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a little bit about that guy. Oh, right. That was just background. Uh, So, yeah, in addition to uh, trying to curb masturbation, he was a big advocate for circumcision. Not, Not just male circumcision, by the way. Uh, he thought that it was he thought it was more effective on boys but uh but yeah he was just an advocate for circumcision in general he just thought you know this is this is the best thing to do to stop the kids from masturbating wow i'm gonna move away from this part because uh this is i mean this is not a family program uh but you know you might, if you have kids in the car or something, this might be a little uncomfortable. So I'm sorry, I said that word seven times. Um, all right, but yeah, like I said, uh, male and female circumcision from Mr. Harvey Catalog, and yet we only really practice male circumcision in America today. So. Here's a, a couple more things that I came across. And I try not to make these go longer than 15 minutes. So I promise, though, I mean, there's so much stuff here. I'm, I'm taking it as fast as I can. So here's another interesting thing that I came across on the subject of uh, male and female circumcision. Other than the United States, the only countries that regularly practice circumcision also practice female circumcision. Or, I guess as we call it, female genital mutilation. Which is like totally crazy, right? Like if you look outside of the U.S., like the we're literally going across the planet to fight wars with these countries because I mean, they are practicing circumcision in general. They just do it to everybody and they do it because they want their children to be seen as marriageable by neighboring villages, tribes, because yes, these are very antiquated societies. So they feel that if their women aren't circumcised, then the neighboring villages aren't going to want those women. But how how crazy is that? I mean, you just look at, at what places are practicing circumcision, and other than the U.S., these other countries that practice circumcision as high of a rate as we do, 85%, by the way, in men. They practice circumcision at the, the same rate, but they just do it to all people. So that's the total population, not just the male population. And now I say 85%, but it was 85% in the U.S. as of 1995. As of 2009, it had already dipped as low as 32% in the U.S. And though they don't have conclusive data yet, it looks like the number is continuing to go down. But, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? These, These countries that are practicing circumcision on men and women, and, I mean, we all know, like, female genital mutilation is absolutely disgusting, 
there's I mean there's no argument against that there's none and I'm certainly not going to but it did make me wonder what actually happens in both processes and it's kind of hard to say like how to actually quantify what makes one worse than the other but just for perspective in in the practice of female genital mutilation where we send humanitarian aid and we fight wars on the other side of the globe because of human rights abuses in the process of female genital mutilation 8,000 nerve endings are removed, which is the only quantifying figure I could think of in terms of, like, how bad is this by comparison. 8,000 nerve endings removed from a woman that is forced to go through that disgusting practice. In male circumcision, 20,000 nerve endings are removed from the foreskin. Well, by removing the foreskin, I guess I should say. Uh... So, like I said, it's it's obviously this is very hard to quantify. So, by the only objective metric that I could think of in five seconds, uh, it could be maybe twice as bad to do it to boys. But we don't even bat an eye when it happens here. And all these men's rights dudes just marching around and we're just like, man, those guys are fucking crazy. And they are. And they are. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but this might be one issue where like, they're wrong on everything else, but they just happen to be on the right side of history on this one thing. So I'm just throwing that out there. Now, there is one more thing, because it wouldn't be Common Criminal Podcast if I didn't, like, throw in a little conspiracy. But there's this pretty interesting guy saying some pretty crazy things. And, uh, yeah, just listen up. You're going to love this part. So... When you look up information about circumcision, you know, me, obviously, me, the conspiracy theorist, I I had to ask, I had to ask, like, what's the angle? Because all this stuff in the U.S., all this, all these disgusting practices, like what they do to the stem cells after an abortion... And they're like, oh yeah, no, we just we just throw them away. No, no, they don't. They sell them. They and we know they do. There's actually a ton of information now, tons of information now, that proves that Planned Parenthood sells those aborted fetuses. You hear Governor Ralph Northam talking about them killing babies like a week after they're born, and you got crazies like Alex Alex Jones saying that is so they can harvest the organs. I'm not advocating for listening to Alex Jones. Just stop it, Ben Shapiro. Don't go any farther. <laughs> but no, so this doctor, right? Dr. Paul Tinari, T-I-N-A-R-I. He wrote like a whole book talking about how these medical facilities are selling the foreskins 
for $100,000 a piece. Insane, right? I could use $100,000. If I if I still had it, I'd sell it right now. I'm not even going to lie. $100,000, by the way, that's not how it works. I'm not advocating going to a doctor and figuring out this negotiating process. No, so Paul Tenari, Dr. Tenari, starts talking about this $100,000 hustle that they pull on children, babies, not even children, babies. And, of course, if you look into it, uh, you know, every every medical whoever and CDC whatever, as if they're not in on it, says, oh, there's there's no proof. There's no information indicating that that's true, blah, blah, blah. Now, I need to remind you, this is the exact same thing they said about the stem cells from aborted fetuses. The exact same thing that they said. And we have hard evidence for this now. And they're using the same line of defense. Oh, you can't prove it. No, we don't do that. We don't have records indicating that. It's the same line of defense they used about the aborted fetuses and the money that they get from that. But then you can take it one step further. You know, because if you really want to find, if you want to find the smoke, this is this is just the tip of the. Well, wow, like going from smoke to ice. There are pending lawsuits currently of men suing hospitals and medical facilities and birthing facilities because they want a cut of the money. So somehow, to get these cases into civil court, these people would have had to have some kind of evidence that these medical facilities got money. So these cases are currently being heard. I highly encourage you, please Google this, of men suing over money from their sold foreskins. Because it is all over the country. And this is going to end up, like, like I said, I'm, I am 99% certain this is just going to wind up like the stem cells from aborted fetuses where even after all is said and done, the CDC just walks away scot-free. Everybody forgets that they were complicit in covering the whole thing up. Crazy stuff. I don't know, man. I mean, like, I mean, I love a good conspiracy, I, I, and I've come to realize basically so does everyone else. It's like it's like really liking Harry Potter. It's not really a personality type. It's interesting to everyone. You're just dumb that the buck stopped there. <laughs> Oops. So before, uh, Jesus. Well, real foot and mouth syndrome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look it up. Like I said, Doctor Paul Tenari. And then look at the CDC refuting him, and then look up the stem cells and Planned Parenthood selling these stem cells to medical research centers. Because, man, it's really something. It's really something. Anyway, thanks for listening.